Welcome to Parallel Church. If you're joining us for the very first time, special welcome to all of you. We named our church Parallel because we want to come alongside. That's our vision. That's our heart is to come alongside. We want to come alongside you. We want to come alongside your family. We want to come alongside marriages. Whatever your situation is, we want to come alongside and walk with. And the reason why we do that is because, well, Jesus did it for us. It says in Matthew 11, he said, are you tired burned out on religion, come away with me, walk with me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace with me. If there's anybody that had the right to lord it over us and to, to, you know, to, to be on top, it would have been him, and yet he chose to walk with. And if he can do that, man, we want to walk with too, and I, we want to follow his lead. His command was to love one another as he loved us, and man, I don't know about you, but I don't deserve the kind of love that he's given me. And, and man, I'm so grateful for that. And I, having received that kind of love, man, we want to do everything we possibly can to, to give that kind of love as best we can. We're fallible. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to get it right all the time. But we're in hot pursuit of an amazing relationship with an amazing Jesus. So, man, right, come on. Man. Just, in the, just yesterday, when we talk about uh, coming alongside, just yesterday, we held two street stores in two cities we don't have churches in. And combined in Brooks and Medicine Hat, we helped over 600 people yesterday. 600. Isn't that amazing? And what's even more amazing about that is, is that in one of those cities in, in Medicine Hat, we didn't show up. We didn't have anybody from here go there. They did it. I think there's a combination of 16 churches in Medicine Hat that ran my city care and helped hundreds of people in, in Medicine Hat. And that's, that's what it's all about. It's, not about. it's not about one church. It's about taking our job back. And awakening the church to do its job. And that's, man, we're in part 5,000. I don't know what, what part we're in, but I'm going to continue on in our series. Let's take our job back because I just can't, I can't shake it. I keep seeing revelation everywhere I turn in the Bible. I keep seeing it everywhere. I mean, last Sunday I preached in Okotoks and, and preached on Father's Day. And the message I preached was out of Genesis 18. And, and the whole thing was basically on why God chose Abraham to be Father Abraham, the father of many nations, and, and to, to be the one that kind of birthed his nation Israel and all that kind of stuff. And it says in Genesis 18, he says, I have chosen you because you will train your children. In other words, that's what the emphasis that God puts on parenting. It's not the afterthought. It's not, it's not a distraction from the important work. It is the important work. That's, like, that's what he put in there. But this is what he says. This is what he said. And I was like, there it is again. Look at this. This is what he said. You will train your children to be in relationship with me and to love others and, and to bring justice and mercy to your communities. That's what, he's, that's what he says, I know, Abraham, you're going to train your children to have a relationship with me and have a relationship with others. I was like, it is everywhere in the Bible. And last time we were together uh, a couple weeks ago and we were talking about let's take our job back, we were in Nehemiah chapter 4. In Nehemiah chapter 4, it, it talks about how, you know, you know Nehemiah is rebuilding a city and, 
and, and all that. And we're using the book of Nehemiah as kind of as a template of taking our job back and re restoring homes and rebuilding cities. And in Nehemiah 4, it says that he had, they had a sword in one hand and a, and a trowel, or they were building with the other. And I was like, that's the, per the picture. that We talked about this last time. That's the picture of what the church is supposed to be. We're familiar in, in churches today. We're familiar with the sword. We are familiar with scriptures that say, you know, the sword of the spirit. We're, you know, it's the word of God. We're familiar with, you know, we stand in faith and, and we, you know, the, the sword, you know, the, and the sword, we know what it means and what it stands for and what it's all about. And so we're very comfortable with understanding prayer and the disciplines and, and why we need to read the word and all the rest of it. We've been taught all that our lives. But at the same time, we're not as familiar with the trowel and the building part. And James, the brother of Jesus, said this, faith without works is dead. In other words, he says, private faith without public works is dead. And I'm not, in this series, we're not asking you to lay down the sword. We're asking you to pick up the trowel. And we're trying to say, we need, we, we are, we're very apt. We've made Christianity a personal faith. And let me just say it this way. We know, and this is the whole reason why we're doing this series, we know how to become a Christian most of us, we know how to become a Christian, but do we know how to be a Christian? What it means to be one. And, and through COVID and all the last uh, number of, of years, the last couple of crazy years that we've been through, you know, I, I saw, I mean, the world is crazy, but honestly, the church was crazier. Anybody else? I mean, I just, I, I watched and I was like, those are my embarrassing cousins. That's what I felt half the time. I was like, what is going on? Why is the church so crazy? And the crazy debate that I was having with pastors all the time as to what, you know, you need to stand up for this and you need to not stand up for that. And you need to do this. And I was like, how, are, how is it that we are so confused as Christians as to what to do when a pandemic comes and what to do when the government does the government things and what to do when the healthcare system fails? We, we, we're as lost as everybody else. And I was like, that's not right. That's not right. And so I was like, I had to go back and study the scriptures, but I had to go back and study history. And I, in particular, I studied the first three centuries because the first century, well, that was led by the disciples. And, and I thought, well, they are going to lead the church the way Jesus wanted led because they got trained for three years by Jesus. So what did they do? And, and I, I, I didn't study history to find out what they believed because I've been taught my entire life and gone through Bible college and all the different things I've been taught on what the church believes and on its theologies and its doctrines. I got that. I wanted to see what did the church do? What was their behaviors? What did they do Monday to Saturday? I was surprised to find that Sunday, their Sundays looked very, very similar to ours today. I'm mean, Here we are a couple thousand years later, and the order of our service looks very, very similar to what they did. And I was like, well, that's, that's comforting, but that's not all that they did. That was only a small portion of what they did. That's not what they were known for. In fact, the Romans didn't know for 100 years that they met every week. They had no idea what Christians did. What they did know is what they did every day of the week. And I was like, somehow, in the midst of persecution, I mean, come on, COVID? That's not persecution. Not in comparison to what Nero did, what Diocletian did, what some of these crazy persecutions. 
the, the church went through. And yet, the church went through all of that and more. Crazy plagues. They went through a plague in the third century that wiped out 20% you know, of the entire population. That's serious. And yet, the church grew exponentially and prospered. And I was like, okay, they weren't as confused as we are on what to do. They knew what to do. And I wanted to find out what they knew that we don't. And that's why we're doing this series, is we're trying to find out, take our job back, not take our, not take our position back. Hello. We're taking our job back, taking our responsibilities back, and we're trying to get the confusion out. And I think what we saw, what we learned last time is that the church has a sword in one hand. We know what to do with the sword, but we have the trowel in the other. And that we're called to be rebuilders of cities and restorers of homes. That's why we don't have the first Baptist church of Thessalonica in the Bible. Or the Anglican church of Colossae. We don't have that. We have the church in Corinth. The church in, Col in, in the Colossian church. The Thessalonican church. They were all about the city. They weren't building little K kingdoms. They were building the big K kingdom. Amen? I'm preaching better than you're responding. Just letting you know. Come on, you can work with me. <laughs> Here we go. Let's go Nehemiah again. By the way, we're not concluding this series today. We are moving into something super fun for the summer. We're going to go. We're going to do the traveling road show or something like that. The, the, the campus pastor. We have amazing campus pastors. Come on, give them a big hand. And our campus pastors are gonna, and, and myself, we're going to be kind of doing musical chairs throughout the summer and all the, all the different things are going on there. And interspersed and all that, I'm going to continue on in Nehemiah because I, I, I mean, I read every sentence and I see revelation I'd never seen before. So I, was, I, can, I just can't move on. Uh, and so we're going to do that. And, and the campus pastor is going to be preaching and moving all around. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're not going to want to miss any of it. Enjoy your holidays. Please do. We get to camp and get to have holidays and we get to go places finally. Man, enjoy that. Have, have the summer of your lives. Enjoy your family. Do that. But stay connected because to the church one online or whatever, you're going to want to not miss what's, what's going on. There's going to be some powerful stuff going on this summer. I'm going to miss. All right. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 18. This is where we're picking up from last time. It says, As for the builders, each wore his sword girded by at his side as he built while the trumpeter stood near him. Now, when I read this, I, I, it, it hit me that the swords were at their side. And here's what hit me about that. Is that the sword, and, and how we always view the sword, we always view the sword as an offensive weapon. These guys didn't, didn't wield the sword offensively. They didn't go attack the enemies that were threatening them. They just armed themselves to defend themselves against the enemy's attack. And so I had this thought. I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. What's the sword for? Because I always thought the sword is the offensive weapon. The shield is the defensive weapon. And that's very limited. The sword is very much a defensive weapon. But I had to go back and look at what the sword of the Spirit, and I had to go look at all this, the the references in the New Testament about the sword. And what I discovered in any reference of the sword, the sword is always described, whenever the sword is used as an analogy, it's always described defensively. That our faith is not to meant to be offensive and attacking and we're fighting truth and we're fighting for truth and we're fighting for a Christian nation and we're fighting to take, take the nation back and to take truth. That's not what the sword is for. The sword is meant 
to be a defensive weapon to ward off the attacks of the enemies and the arrows of the enemies and all these kind of things. The sword is a defensive thing. Now, we, we got we to gotta get, you got to get, I want you to grasp that because we're going to see what that means and how that, what that means and why that's so important. Because I think this is where we get confused. If you don't know the purpose of something, you abuse it. And I think we've gotten, we've used the, the weapon offensively when it's never meant to be that. And we step out of our lanes and we get into trouble when we do that. We get confused when we do that. Verse 19, it says, I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. We are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. That is all throughout the scripture. Our God will fight for us. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. I don't know what battle you're going in, but you don't need to fight. That's his fight. You just stand in the victory. Amen. Our God will fight for us. We don't need to fight for our country. We don't need to fight for our cities. Our God will fight for us. We can put the sword, because we're always going to have the sword there ready to defend when it's needed to defend, but we got to pick up the trowel and go to work. Verse 20, in whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us, our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with the half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At, the, at that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servants spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be on guard for us. They're guarding. They're not attacking. They're guarding, protecting uh, for us by night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon to, even to water. I mean, they, did, they realized that spiritual warfare, come on, it, it, doesn't, there, it doesn't work you know, one hour a week, or it doesn't work you know, just when you're awake, it doesn't work just when you're at work. Spiritual warfare is a 24-7 thing, and you need to be on guard always. All right, verse chapter 5, look at this. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many, therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. Also, there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is like flesh of our brothers, our, our children like their children. Yet, behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. Some of our daughters are forced into bondage already, and we are helpless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Now, this is, this is what's going on. What's going on is... Over 7,000 people have joined Nehemiah to rebuild the city. 7,000. So there's a, an influx of people that came with Nehemiah to rebuild the city. There's a, there's a crowd in there. And in the midst of all this, people from amongst that midst look, looked at, you know, the rebuilding that's going on. And, and entrepreneurially, they saw opportunity. And they saw opportunity to make personal gain and to make money for themselves and to, to pay for things. So they started taxing one another. 
And they started, you know, selling to one another. And they even started enslaving one another. And there's all these different trades and some of the weaker and saying, you owe me this and you owe me this. And they took advantage of the situation. And here's what I want you to get is that in the midst of this isn't right in the midst of a move of God. Come on, this is a huge move of God because we're reading about it thousands of years later. This was a move of God recorded for us. God was on the move. God called Nehemiah. But yet in the midst of a move of God, there are still selfish people who take advantage of God and use the name of God and use the power of God and use the circumstances to make personal gain. So how did Nehemiah respond? Then I was ang very angry. Then I was very angry. And when I heard their outcry in these words, he was so angry. Look at this verse seven starts. I consulted with myself. Have you ever been so angry that you consulted with yourself and you're talking under your breath to yourself? No, oh, I can't believe they did that. You ever been so angry? I can't believe they did it. You consult. That's how angry Nehemiah is. He consulted with himself. That's a new level of anger. That's like. You can say, I was very angry, but man, I consulted with myself. Okay, he's ticked. We get it now. And contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are extracting usury each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. Nehemiah took this seriously. And I want you to know God takes this very seriously. How do I know that? Jesus went to church one Sunday with a whip. Meek and mild, Jesus went to church one day with a whip, overturned tables. Why did he do that? What made Jesus so angry that he was whipping, literally whipping people out of the lobby? Why, why, why was Jesus uh, so upset? Because people were taking advantage using God's name and some of the commandments and some of these things. They were using it for personal gain. They were overselling and, and, and trying to get rich off of people's sins and off of their guilt and using God's name. God took that very seriously. And if you don't think that's serious, how about Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts who used the move of God and the revival that was going on to try to get make a personal name for themselves and to try to try and they use the opportunity use God's name for themselves God takes this very 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 seriously verse 8 he says i said to them we according to our ability have redeemed our jewish brothers who were sold to the nations now you would even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Because <laughs> they knew it was like busted. And again, I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. The thing that you are doing is not good. Then he says, should you not walk in the fear of God because of the, uh, the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I love this. Should you not walk in the fear of God? In other words, what Nehemiah is saying is your fear of God should be higher than your desire for personal gain. Should you not walk in the fear of God? Come on. We should always have a higher respect for God and his way of doing things than we do of our personal gain. And you know, come on, you know human nature is to get ourselves ahead to make, to prosper. And there's nothing wrong with all that. But, but if we do, if, if our desire for personal gain 
is higher than our fear of God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble every single time. And God takes it very, very, very seriously. And Nehemiah had to step in and say, what you're doing is not good. In verse 10, he says, And likewise, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their, and their houses. Also the hundredth part of the money and the, and the grain and the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. Then they said, we will give it back and we will require nothing from them and we will do exactly as you say. So I called the priests. This is when it's getting serious. Come on. I called the priests and took an oath from them. He's basically saying, you're going to swear before God. And the priests being God's witnesses here on, on, on earth. By the way, this is, not, this is priests there. This is God's representative on earth that day. By the way, you and I, there's no priests today except for all of us. You and I are called priests and kings because the Holy Spirit is here. Come on, there's, there's not, I'm, not a God, I'm not a representative of God for you. You represent, I mean, the Holy Spirit's with you in the same way. I called the priests and took an oath from them that they would do according to their promise. And look at this in verse 13. I also shook out the front of my garment and said, Thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possession who does not fulfill his, this promise. Even thus may he be shaken and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Now watch this, watch this. Nehemiah stands up and he takes his garment and he starts shaking it. And he says, just like just this is being shaken. He says, may God shake off everything, that every person that is going to use the name of God for his own personal gain. And here's what I want you to know. We've, I've, you know those are the verse we, we quote it often. What everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I've heard it quoted more often in the last two years than ever. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And we say, there's a lot of shaking going on. I don't know, there's a lot of shaking going on. There's a lot of, there's a lot. Come on, there's, there's a lot that's going on. And, and it, come on, if you watch the news, if you watch the news, aren't you seeing a lot of shaking going on in the church? That some of the most prominent leaders in the church, some of the most prominent churches on the planet are in the news and not for good things. That there's shaking going on. And you see the rest of the church get all, all queasy and going, what's happening? What's going on? And we've seen the great you know, resignation, people deconstructing their faith. And we've seen people, and probably you have friends and family that have, were once part of the church that aren't part of the church anymore or come back, all the rest of it. Listen, God is doing something. I'm speaking prophetically. Now, God is doing something. He's shaking a garment and he's shaking off anything that is not of him. Anything that elevates themselves above him is being shaken off. And God is building something today for the next move. God is building something today. A church that might be smaller, that might not look the same, but he's building something that's going to be stronger, stronger than ever, that is going to get on with the next move of God. And I want to commend you because you're still here. You're still here. But don't get so confident in the fact that you haven't been shaken up. Don't get so confident because any one of us is susceptible to our, to our own selfishness. We all are selfish beings. Any one of us is susceptible to our own selfishness, our own 
uh, craving of fame, our own craving of power, our own, uh, you know, all of that, we, our own wealth. We all want personal gain. We're all susceptible to that. And it's easy to allow those desires. God gave you those desires, by the way. They're not evil in of themselves. You're, you have a desire inside of you. For you're, God created you that way. The problem is, is when that craving overcomes the fear of God. When the fear of God comes beneath then, then a Nehemiah has to step up and saying, what you're doing is not good. We can't use the name of God to build little K kingdoms. We have to build the big K kingdom. So let's walk in the fear of God and, re and remain. Right from the very beginning, this is not a, this is not a COVID mentality, this is not... 20, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket so bad now. Listen, the world's always been messed up. We just know about it now because of social media. Like, I mean, you can't, I mean, everything happens and we know it immediately. And the world's not more messed up than it ever. Like, it's just people are people. They're messed up. Right from the very beginning. Genesis 11. Look at this. Genesis 11. Like, this is right the very beginning of your Bible. People are messed up. By the way, this is after... The son of the original creation, Adam and Eve, the son killed a brother. Like, come on, we're messed up right from the very beginning. Messed up. Genesis 11 says this, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words, and it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they, this is the peoples of the earth, they, they came to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they use brick for stone and they use the tar for mortar. And then verse 4, look at this. It says this. Come, let us build for ourselves a city. This is the problem. Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Here's the problem. This is, the, this is the universal human nature problem. We have, we want to build the cities, the little K kingdoms. Let me just be blunt. We want to build little K kingdom churches where we're the only church and we're the best church and we're the only church. Come on, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. We're not building at church. We're building the big K kingdom. That's the position we always have to be in. And right from the very beginning, human nature was, let's build for ourselves a city. Let's build for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. It wasn't wrong that they were building a city. God didn't care about the city. Look, he didn't care about the city. In fact, I think he wanted them to build a city. How do I know that? Revelation 21, the very end of your Bible, heaven is a city. God's not against cities. So the Lord came down to see what was going on, to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have the same language. This is what they be began to do, and now nothing they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Then he says, verse 7, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from the earth over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped, and they stopped building the city. And they stopped building the city. I think we got to take our job back 
and build a city. The only difference is we're not building the city for ourselves. It's not for us. And we're not building to make a name. And by the way, we take our jobs back. You make a name. You get attention. But it's not about that. It's not about making a name. And it's not about building it for yourself. Therefore, its name was called Babel because that's where the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from, the Lord's, from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Here's what I want us to, to hear and to understand is that in the midst of all this, in the midst of everything that we're talking about, let's taking our job back, we're not building a church. We're just realizing we're going to put the fear of the Lord over our own ambitions. We're not building a church. We're not building a ministry. We're not building the best church. We're not, we're, we're, what we're building is we're looking at rebuilding the city. It's not about us. It's about the people in our city that need the hope that is Jesus. That's what it's about. And this is, this is what, remember I said I studied the early church, and I was like, okay, the early church. And I, I went through history, and I studied the first three centuries in particular, and, and actually did a lot of study throughout the last 2,000 years, his, history of the church. And when I discovered what the early church did Monday to Saturday, I, then I went back to the scriptures, and I was like, well, is that what Paul taught and Peter taught, and were they on track? And I was shocked to see that this was I, stuff I'd never seen, stuff in Nehemiah I'd never seen, stuff all in Genesis 18 with Abraham I'd never seen. All of a sudden, I was like, it's everywhere. Everywhere of what they did is everywhere in the Bible. And for some reason, I hadn't seen it. And I want us to see it because what God is coming back for is for a glorious church. And God is coming back for a church that fears him more than their own personal gain. And he's shaking off anything and anyone that wants to elevate themselves above him. And use him, God forbid, use him to elevate themselves personally. Romans 15, look at, look at Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He says, those of us who are strong. This is the church in Rome. The, the city of Rome, by the way, the most powerful city on the planet in that time. The biggest empire on the planet. Most powerful city on the planet. He says, those of us who are strong and able in the faith should rise up and take over the Senate and take over the empire and make this a Christian nation. Now what he said, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. Wait, those of us who are strong need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Oh, man. And not just do what is most convenient for us. Not just go to a church that's most convenient. Sorry. And not just do church in a way that's just most convenient for us. Because strength is for service, not status. Strength is for service, not status. Then he says, each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's a simple question. How can I help? Can you imagine, just imagine, 
Imagine if every single one of us this summer just simply asked this question anywhere and everywhere. Imagine going to work tomorrow and asking your coworkers, how can I help? Imagine asking your boss, how can I help? Imagine asking your neighbors, how can I help? Imagine, like it's, that's simple. And, and then we don't answer with just a sword when they say, well, I need this and this, I'll be praying for you. That's the sword answer. The trial answer is, I'm going to pray. I'm, using the, I'm not laying down the sword. I'm using the sword. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do something about it. Let me give you an example. This week, I love our campus pastors. We got to spend all day Friday together, and we were doing planning meetings and, and talking all the rest. And, and the most anointed thing we could do in the afternoon, right after lunch, after a full day of meetings, is coffee. You ever been in meetings like right after lunch? It's like, we need coffee. So Pastor Tim and, and Pastor Joel, they, they went down to, uh, to Starbucks and were getting us some coffee. And they took extraordinary long. I was like, man, what do these guys get lost? Like, what is going on? And, and I, I, they came back and I found out later that the reason why they took so long is because while they were walking out with 11 coffees, that's a sight, a woman in the parking lot came up to them and said, do you guys have any money? And they said, well, we don't have any cash on us, but... Can we buy you a meal? And they walked, I think it was like two or three blocks, to, to a restaurant and bought her a meal. And I went, that's taking our job back. How can I help? It's so easy to walk by, isn't it? You know, our youth, your kids, they did a bigger and better night on Friday. You, you probably got some crazy stories from that. They go around door to door and they, they trade something, you know, hey, do you have something bigger and better? And they, get, they start with something small. And they walked out with, it's crazy, incredible stuff. But one of the houses that they knocked, the doors that they knocked on, um, a family came to the door and had crying kids in the background. And, you know, you could tell that they're interrupting and all the rest of it. And as they're, you know, they're talking, they're like explaining, you know, this is what we're doing and the rest of it. And do you have anything bigger, better? And you could tell it was a distraction. And meanwhile, while they're talking, you know, the family's dog comes out and, and the kids are like, ah, dog, and they're all petting the dog and all the rest of it. And, and family's like, I don't, I don't know. But all of a sudden, they're like, could you walk our dog? And so our kids, your kids, walked someone's dog. And I was like, that's, that's, that's not a big deal, but this is, what, this is what Kale said to me. He's like, Dad, he said, he says, I think next week we're going to take some kids and we're going to go knock in the house again and saying, hey, can we take... Your dog for a walk. And just show up. Because if that's an easy, if that's all we can do to help, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be big. How can I help? How can I help? Can you imagine if all of us used our strength for service? Just asking, how can I help? And why do we do that? You know why we do it? Paul tells us. He says, because that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles. Did you ever notice Jesus' miracles were like he was always on his way somewhere and he got interrupted? I mean, Jesus got interrupted a lot. He's on his way somewhere. I mean, people are, the crowds are following him. I mean, he couldn't, he got interrupted a lot. He didn't make it easy for, for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waded right in and helped out. And I love this. And it says, and I took on the troubles of the troubled 
I took on the troubles of the troubled is the way the scriptures put it. And here's what I want to say in this series. What I'm trying, us to, I'm trying to get us to understand is that this is our mandate. This, this is our mandate to take on the troubles of the troubled. That we're not wielding the sword of, the tr- of truth and, and beating over people over the head and said, you need to believe like I do. And you need to come and join and, and be, be join us and our great church because we're building a great city for ourselves. And you need to do that. We don't beat them on the head. You know what we do? We pick up the trowel. We put the sword down. We put it in its sheath. And, and we use it for spiritual warfare because our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not beating people up with it. We're not using it as a weapon against them. We're picking up the trowel and we're simply coming up to them going, how do I help? How can I help? And imagine if all of us did that. That's how you take your job back. Walking someone's dog, buying someone a meal, asking a coworker, how can I help? Not running from troubles, avoiding the troubled at your work. Uh oh. The person that annoys you the most. Imagine going up to them and how, how, how can I help? You know, the people that annoy you the most are just hurting. And just need somebody to not avoid them and to love on them, to care for them. Kind of like a Zacchaeus who annoyed everybody else and Jesus just went. How did Jesus help? Just went to his house for supper. This is our job. Waiting in to take on the troubles of the troubled. Today's takeaway is simply this. Strength is for service not status. It's not about positioning ourselves above or better than or we've got the truth and you don't. Like, you're all dumb on social media and, you, you know, I've got, I know the truth. I'm going to let you know. That's not... That's fighting for status, not service. Amen? Let's take our job back. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and how it's everywhere. Forgive us for having missed it and not doing this and making our faith just a personal belief system. God, I pray that you'd awaken us to taking our job back, that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear the troubled and that we would wade right in and use our strength for service. Simply ask the question, how can I help? And Lord, when we see those opportunities, give us the courage to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, maybe the reason why you don't have a relationship with Jesus is because you've been cut by a Christian misusing or a church misusing the sword as a weapon. You're carrying the cuts and the wounds. In the name of God, somebody cut you, hurt you. I want you to know that please forgive us as a church when we've used the weapon incorrectly. But I want you to know that Jesus is not like that. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is gentle and merciful and kind. Jesus wades in 
He doesn't avoid you or any of the troubles. He wades in and he helps. And all you need to do to, be, to get that help and to connect with him is pray a simple prayer. I'm going to lead you in in a moment, which is confessing with your mouth that Jesus is God. And if you believe that he rose again from the dead, right here, right now, you can begin a relationship with him. And being a Christian, by the way, doesn't mean joining or going to a church. It's not joining a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus. And the reason why we go to church, by the way, is because we're a bunch of messed up family, all in pursuit of loving Jesus and activating, taking back our community. So if you haven't prayed this prayer, I want you to pray it with me. If you're praying for the first time, you believe it right here, right now, you can begin your relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, why don't you pray this with me where you are? Everyone repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God, and I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you now to become my God, my Lord and Savior, and my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins, for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow your heads out of respect to the people around you. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, would you just boldly raise up your hand and give me a wave and say, yeah, Pastor, I prayed this prayer the first time. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. At the end of the service, I'd love to give you a Bible. It explains what this relationship is all about. It's our free gift to you. I'll look around one more time, make sure I didn't miss anyone. Just give me a quick wave and say, yeah, Pastor, I prayed this prayer. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Amen, amen. If you're watching online you pray this prayer for the first time would you just click like on the comment below that says i have decided and our team will reach out to you and give you that bible as well